Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average and auto customers Qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I think the entire Packers offense has been completely undervalued in fantasy drafts. Yep. I get it. Devontae Adams was good. I hear you. And, and he's gone. But you know what? Like, he's still Aaron Rodgers. They're still the Packers. They're still going to win a ton of games. I've talked about this. I love the, the win total over yep. for the Packers to me is like the easiest bet this preseason. Ten and a half. Ten yep. and a half. Yep. Which, they've, which they've done, you know, each of the last three years. For fun. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's the Fantasy Football Happy Hour with Matthew Berry and Jay Croucher. For more fantasy football analysis, tune in. Weekdays at noon Eastern. They got the Red Solo Cups, Chris. What's in those Red Solo Cups, I wonder? Yeah, I mean, what can we get some mugs? Like some real mugs? So like, no, you see I, like, I like that. I like, I like the, the, red, the Red Solo Cup is the ubiquitous message to the world that I'm drinking booze. And I, I, I know, I get and, you. And and the Red Solo Cup lets everyone know I don't care. Yeah, I and, guess. Uh, I, I guess. like it. Well, so does right. the clear mug with beer in it. it. It also does, and, you know, then it's also reusable. So, you know, me, Johnny Environment, that's what I think of a little bit. <laughs> that, you know, that's a good point. That's a good point Thank as you. I go through about 10 Red Solo Cups a week down in my barn. All right, okay. Mike, come on. Make the adjustment. Let's go. Come on, Mike. La- they're biodegradable. <laughs> okay, okay, are they? No. Uh, no. Last <laughs> week, Aaron Rodgers complained about his young receivers being inconsistent, yada, yada. I said, hey, you had an opportunity to show up in the offseason program. Maybe let them be freaked out then so when it was time for training camp, they could focus on the work and not pleasing one of the all-time greats who happens to be the guy deciding who I'm going to throw the football to, who I'm going to trust, who I'm not going to trust, who's getting it done, who's not getting it done. Here's Aaron Rodgers responding to the notion that the – Receivers may have been better if he had been present for the voluntary offseason program. Here he is. Training camp is a long experience. There's plenty of time for conversations, for practice, for a lot of the things that we expect them to do in the regular season. Uh, I rely on the coaching staff to pass on the message as we're learning the offense. 
and then you know I'm kind of the the 202 professor you know they got to get the kind of the base concepts and when I come in you know we have the you know the offense outside of the paper offense so um, I feel like there's been a few guys who've made a jump mentally as we've gotten into the second and third week of camp um, Sammy being one of them I feel like he's been playing faster and making more precise decisions but again you got to realistic expectations for all our guys not just the young players and you know similar schedule last year we came in hit the ground running obviously some different players this year but I feel like the offense uh, especially in the last week or so has been clicking closer to where I think we should be trending I'm sorry I would say this about anyone who's making 50 million dollars a year to play in the NFL I don't think it's too much to expect the guy to be there for the offseason program if he's making $50 million. I, I know that they could do like the Cardinals did with Kyler Murray and create an even greater financial incentive to be present. I'd like to think if somebody's paying me $50 million bucks and everyone in the organization regards the offseason program as a fairly important time of the year for guys to get together and get to know each other and you know, get a lot of the stuff out of the way that otherwise would happen in training camp, I, I'd like to think the guys would do it. It is odd to me. Now, the Packers knew going into this new deal with Aaron Rodgers, he probably wouldn't be there because he wasn't there last year. But I, 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 I reject his argument. And obviously, he has a bias. He's not going to come out and say, yeah, maybe they wouldn't be having these struggles if I had chosen to be here during the offseason program instead of, you know, on an ayahuasca high somewhere. I, 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 but, but the bottom line is they would have been better off. They wouldn't be worse off, Chris, they would have been better off if he'd have been there. I, that, that, I mean, that, that's, I think, the big point. Again, I don't think it hurts. That's the, the, that's the bottom line. It wouldn't have hurt to be there. You know, how much it helps, you know, again, hey, sure, that's debatable. I get it. You know, okay. And you are talking about a guy, like you said, yeah, he wasn't there last year, and they hit the ground running, and it's, and it's uh, MVP for the second year in a row. So there, there's aspects there where I think his point is valid. Training camp is long. There's no doubt. You know, in the old days, there was no OTAs. This is how quarterbacks and receivers got on the same page was through training camp. So, and six preseason I, games yeah, that, well, that listen, the starters actually I'm not, played I'm not in. trying to defend it, like, completely here. But I don't want – I don't like that everybody jumps on it either. And then also, you know, I think there's more at play tier here when you think about – I mean, like we've always talked about. I mean, they they've just they've screwed him over constantly. So he's, he's there's a little bit of that I think that maybe goes on. He handles his business that way, and you know, again, I'll I'll go to this. He called you know I don't like everybody that's like oh he you know he called them out. You shouldn't air public laundry. All right, well he did what he needed to do. Other than some disgruntled disgruntled veterans you know, early on in his career when maybe Aaron Rodgers was still trying to find his way like a Baker Mayfield and maybe a little immature in some ways. We've never really heard players or the receivers there go, you know, this guy's a jerk or, you know, this we don't feel on the same page as him. I think he just keeps it real, and that's where he didn't like the way they were practicing. Everybody was watching practice and seeing it. He was being asked questions about drops and things that were miscommunication. And he goes, yeah, we got to get better. I don't know. That's what a leader does to me. You know, and again, like I saw Booger Mark McFarlane and RG3 last night. They were kind of defending him as well in the pregame show. 
you know, saying, well, but, you know, we don't say anything when Brady is mother effing guys in 2019 that are young receivers on the sideline, which I would go, that's way more detrimental than a guy saying it in training camp. So a little bit of the piling on with Rodgers at time. And, you know, would you rather him miss the OTAs or the last 12 days of training camp? Well, you know, again, that's another thing. I'm just saying, I'm just going, you know, tick for tack or however the hell you say it. It's a yeah. little unfair sometimes. I'm not arguing Close your enough, point because I think and your point is real. I don't need real. you to be any closer. Okay. Close okay. enough, and you don't need to be any closer than that. Okay. Hey, hey, look. Your I, point's real. I mean, I hear you. It doesn't I, hurt to I, be there. Have I not raised questions about Tom Brady? No, you have. 11 days in training I'm not, camp. I yep. mean, yeah, th- yeah, that would apply to everyone, too. But, but the idea that, that you're getting more than anyone else financially. Yeah, I hear you. And that you're deliberately staying away. You know, whether it's a message or whatever, it's just another sign of dysfunction. Whatever this core problem is between the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, if it were gone, he would have been there. He would be there. He there's plenty of downtime in the offseason to do whatever it is that you want to do. I hear You're you. Talking Mike. about a guy who's making more money than anyone playing the sport right now on a new money average, and who knows whether he stays one year, two years, whatever. But you know, if this is some manifestation of how, to use your phrase, they've screwed him over, if he's not there out of spite, that's dysfunction. I hear we, you. We, you know, it's any, and, and like you, and we agree on one thing more than anything else. They wouldn't be worse off if he had been there. Yes. They could only be better off. I agree. They could only have walked through the door in training camp. You know, for these new guys, I mean, he's been there since 2005. Yeah. He needs to go back to think of how he felt when he walked through the door and he's got Brett Favre messing with him and, you know, you're, you're wide-eyed trying to figure out where you fit and where to go and how it works. And on top of everything else, you have a football god who's your quarterback who hasn't bothered to descend from on high to meet you other than for mandatory minicamp for a couple of days. I, I just, I, I, just, I, I my guy, you're real. I, I hear you, man. You're, but I agree right. with this as well. Yeah. He knows how to navigate the dysfunction where trying to raise his concerns privately will result in him banging his head into a door. The way to get results is to, publicly drop a turd into the punch bowl from time to time because it worked. Yeah. Well, it created a reaction that got the message through to those guys. Whereas if he had tried to do it privately, it probably wasn't going anywhere. Mike, I I come back to a point that you've made for the last four years. And I look at it and I still think it's the number one issue with the green Bay Packers. The fact that there's no owner there is really the issue. It is. It's why they can never get the big free agent player or do anything of that nature or, you know, in the middle of the year, make the offer to Devontae Adams like you've talked about so much and just go, let's not let it get to that point. Let's offer this to him now. You know, it's I hear from free agents. It's like, hey, I, I kind of wanted to go there, but they couldn't pay me, you know. So there's that lack of leadership there. And I think that, when I look at it in a lot of ways, is is the root of a lot of problems there sometimes. And, and again, a lot of the times the owners are, like you've said, like we've seen with the great ones, Mr. Kraft, whoever else, they know when to, hey, let's go all in. Let's do this. Hey, we got to support our quarterback. Hey, we got to make this move to get this guy and cut the cord here. And, hey, I'm a billionaire. I know how to – we know how to balance a checkbook a little bit better. And that's not there in Green Bay. And I do think that's, you know, something that, that hurts them to a degree. And think about the human dynamics at play here. You got a bunch of people who can be fired, 
who are reluctant to be the ones to put their careers on the line by suggesting something outside the box. And there's a fine line between outside the box and out of your freaking mind. And 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 I just think it's it's the reality. When you own the team and you can't be fired, there's a greater freedom to just make suggestions. Right. Make it to, a power to, play. To make start, a move. To start pushing something in the right direction. Mm-hmm. To let the coach know, I'm on board with you if you're going to recommend that we make the play for OBJ or whoever. Right. That, that I, I think that that's right. And, you know, Packers fans will say, oh, well, we don't want Jerry Jones. Well, right, but you may get – I don't know if it's bad to have Jerry Jones at this point. After 33 years, I think he's figured out how to put a football team together. There are bad owners, and it's – it's better to have no owner than a meddling owner who doesn't know what he or she is doing, but it's a lot better to have an owner who knows when to press the button at the right time and when to be the one who goes out on a limb because they don't have to worry about the tree falling down. Look at the teams that have just won the Super Bowl. I mean, just go with this. That's all you got to say. Oh, the Glaziers, they, they had a let's go. Let's do it. Let's support them. You know, the Chiefs, all right, let's go. Let's do it. Let's do it. Stan Kroenke. Okay, let's go. Let's do it. You know, the Eagles, same thing. I mean, you can go down the line here and go to teams and go, yeah, they had an owner that was willing to go, let's, it's, it's time. Let's go all in. Let's get that guy. Let's get this guy. Let's spend the money. Don't worry. We'll kick the can down the road and figure out how to balance the checkbook later. Um, yeah, I, I do think, you know, Jerry Jones is the extreme. I, I, I understand that, but he's one of a kind. You know, and the, he owns it. He owns the title of GM. He, he doesn't does. have somebody else that he different. can blame for his own mistakes. That's I right. always respect that. I respect that, too. You're right. He takes it on the chin when it's like that. He's invested that way. But uh, I do think there is the value to the owner, and I, I do look at that sometimes and go, that's, that's the number one issue there in Green Bay. Or you could have an owner who tries to go all in, and when it doesn't work out, he can say two years later, I don't know what you're talking about. I forget. I don't remember any of that like Mark Davis did. All right. Uh, how big of an impact will the coaching changes have on the Patriots' offense? Predicting where the Patriots and other AFC East teams will rank this season next on this Tuesday edition of PFT Live. Bill, when it, when it, uh, you said in July that you aren't big on on titles over there, have you found it odd that there's been a bit of a uh, like a frenzy media wise on on uh, why you haven't named somebody in an offensive coordinator? Uh, I'm really not too, too concerned about that. I mean, we there've been many years where we haven't had titles. I don't even know what titles we've had or not had. It doesn't really make any difference to me. It's, that's not the point of it. We have jobs to do and. Our staff works well together. Again, there are a lot of people that are involved in, in uh, all three phases of the game. Uh, ultimately, I'm responsible for all of it. So if you want to ask who's in charge, then it would be me. Because I have the final say in every area. So that's, that's the way it's been, and I don't really see that changing. That kind of summarizes exactly what we've been saying. It doesn't matter who the offensive coordinator is. It doesn't matter who's calling the plays. Bill Belichick is the ultimate filter through which everything runs. And that's the way it's always been in New England. He's the rare coordinator who morphed and grew well beyond the thing that made him a head coach. He doesn't delegate half the ball, half the game to a coordinator. He's in charge of everything, and he's always been that way. And I think that's why it's now, – now, it's unusual – and it's not like the media is being unrealistic, Chris, by reacting to it. But 
the easy answer is Belichick's in charge like he's always been. That's so right. it really doesn't matter. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's, what, that's why it, it hasn't got maybe quite the attention like you've said a few times where it's just like if this was any other team, yeah, well, it's not any other team. It's the greatest coach in the history of sports. So, yeah, and he seems to know how to coach all three phases of the football game. I mean, he's, he's, the, he's the coach in the building. You know, he's the guy that is, yeah, the proper game plan. He coaches all the coaches on a daily basis. I mean, they have meetings, and he makes all the coaches listen to – he makes the offensive coaches listen to when he's correcting the defensive coaches, and he makes the defensive coaches listen to when he's correcting the offensive coaches. So it does all go through him. But still at the same time, there's no Josh McDaniels. And Josh McDaniels was special in his creative ability and his ability to – find ways to attack an offense that, you know, I think Bill Belichick went, well, that's a good idea, Josh. I, you're right, because he was he was wired by Bill Belichick. So he knew how to think like Bill to a degree and attack these defenses and do that. So they are going to miss that. But, yes, is it going to be like, oh, my gosh, they're going to fall off earth on that side of the ball because he's not there? I don't, I don't doubt. I mean, I don't think that'll happen. No, I, look, I, I think that uh... – that they'll be, they'll be fine, but fine is a relative term. They don't right. have Tom Brady. They don't have Josh McDaniels, but within those parameters, they, they're not going to fall apart. But let's do a little top third, middle third, bottom third, loose ranking of some various topics here. And let's begin with the Patriots offense, which we've been discussing. Where will they rank, in your estimation, in the NFL, top, middle, or bottom third? I think uh, I would say middle third. That's where I look at. You know, last year, you know, they were what fifteenth in football, somewhere right there around there. I, I just had it in front of me. Yes, fifteenth in football. I'm going to say it's a little worse than that. I, I think it'll be, you know, somewhere between let's say sixteen, sixteen and twenty to a degree, somewhere in there. Uh, that's what I'll say. Yeah, look, I, I think middle of the pack makes sense. The question is, how good will the defense be? And ultimately, all that matters is points scored versus points allowed per game. And they master That's that. How they, they, they know how to end up having more points than you. Right. That's the only thing that matters. All that other stuff doesn't matter. That's one of the basic fundamental truths for Bill Belichick. That's why, well, he pretends to not care about analytics. We know he deeply does. Definitely. But it's all towards the end goal of having more points than the other team. That's how you determine wins and losses, right? And they tend to do a pretty good job of having yeah. more than that. So how many I agree years, with you. I think uh, I was gonna say middle how, third. Oh, yeah, you Go say ahead. middle third too. You say right around there. Like, yeah. How many years have we seen them be, you know, the twentieth ranked defense, but like top three or four in scoring defense? And I think to your point, you're exactly right. And I think that's you know that was a good one by you. All right, Josh Allen the Bills quarterback, talking about the fact that he has a new offensive coordinator because Brian Dayball is in New York. Ken Dorsey takes over. Here's Allen on his assessment of Dorsey. I mean, he's doing a really good job. Um, you know, his call sheet, you know, how he's talking to us before games and in, in, in preparation for games, uh, making sure that, you know, the call sheet that he has for whatever quarterback is out there is the plays that we are comfortable with. Um, and I really appreciate how he's doing that, and I know Case and Matt appreciate it the same way. Um, but in terms of just operation, you know, if you look at the game, we were getting getting plays in really quickly in order to or enable to go to the line of scrimmage and, and make checks and make different calls. Um, you know, and I think that's sometimes a growing pain that some offensive coordinators don't don't see. And obviously, I've only been around now too, 
Um, but that, that play clock, once it gets to 15, all communication shut off. So you've got to get that play call in quick, and you've got to know your next call uh, really just based on what you feel is going to happen during that play. And you've got to be quick on your feet, and you know, I think he's done a really good job in preseason so far. It is a challenging job. And it, it does take some time. It takes some reps. You get used to it. Those three hours go by pretty damn quickly. And your opportunities to make the right call at the right time, they're not nearly as many as you would think. So where will Ken Dorsey rank as the offensive play caller for the Bills? And I guess more broadly, what will the Bills offense do? Let's do top third, middle yeah. third, bottom third for their offense this year with Dorsey calling the plays, not Brian Dable. I, I think it's still top third. You know, I do. It's, 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 you know, just the quarterback's too special. They got, you know, pretty good weapons throughout. And then, you know, here's the weird thing with the Bills. Last year they were the number six rushing offense in football, right? And I think they were like ninth passing, which you wouldn't think that, right? You, you think, well, no, they were, it's all Josh Allen. It's all Josh Allen. But what I would say is I think it's going to be a little bit more of a dangerous attack this year from this standpoint because Dayball is awesome, so that's not easy to replace. But Aaron Cromer being there as the offensive line coach, I think I talked about this with you yesterday. Maybe it was on my podcast. I can't remember. I talk so much sometimes. I think him at the off, as the offensive line coach, guy I was with in Tampa a little bit, he was Sean Payton's offensive line coach there in New Orleans. He's one of the best in the game. And he's going to be a difference maker for that offensive unit to where I, I don't think they're going to have to have Josh Allen run for 763 yards like he did last year. You know, that's an amazing stat number when you really think about it. Josh Allen was second on the team in rushing, led the team in average yards per carry. But I think this year you're going to see the running back be more of a factor here with, with uh, Moss and, and Singletary and, and James Cook. So yes. that's where I look at it to be a little bit more dangerous, and I, I certainly think it's a, a top a top ten offense. It's easy to be, and who said this? I think it was Dick Vermeil at his Hall of Fame induction just a couple of weeks ago. I became a lot smarter coach when I had Marshall Falk. So the better the players, the better the coach. Because the players go out and they just do things that make the coach look good. And they save you from what would be a bad play call because they're just good enough to overcome that. All right. Dolphins have a great array of offensive skill position players. You've got Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Mike Gesicki, Cedric Wilson, Preston Williams, Raheem Mostert, Chase Edmonds. Where will that group collectively rank? This AFC East, between the Bills and the Dolphins, has the potential to have some some pretty potent offenses. But where do you think that group is going to (sighs) be? I'm going to say middle third, but better than, than it was last year. You know, I, I, I do. I, I mean, I think Tua is going to be better. And, of course, with the weapons they got, I think that's going to be really good. Of course, with you know Waddle and Tyree Kill, and you, you rattled off the names there. I mean, it's, it's an impressive group. I think the only reason I don't put them in the top third for sure is that I'd, I'd like to see the offensive line. As we know, the offensive line was, was not very good last year. That was definitely in the bottom quarter of the league. So – that has to improve. And I think, you know, Mike McDaniel, his ability to run the ball and coach that will make them better. But I'm not sold that their offensive line is just going to be able to dominate that way. And then, you know, so I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm going to say middle third, high middle third, right? Maybe around 12, 13, right around that range. See, this is where I get myself back in the bad graces of two and on. Because yesterday we praised. See, they don't complain 
when we praise Tua. They only complain when they don't acknowledge when we praise. No, him. They that's do everybody. When we praise him, they only complain when we say something bad. I think if you take that group of receivers, running backs, Mike Gesicki at tight end, and you drop him, you drop them collectively with you know the Packers. Oh, night night. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. Good night. So you yeah. take. So if we're just looking at the guys other than the quarterback. This is top third. Right. The quarterback is going to potentially drag them down. I, I hate to say it, and I hope I'm wrong. And again, to it, over the weekend, out early, going through his play sheet, doing the mental reps, the stuff he hadn't done in the past, as Mike McDaniel acknowledged, he could be a lot better. But that's what's holding me back. I'd say middle third as well, but you put him with Aaron Rodgers in their top third. Definitely. I mean, yes, agreed, agreed. That, you know, the the system, all of that, it's 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 great. But as we talk about all the time, there's going to be games when they play Bill Belichick or Sean McDermott where the system ain't going to be able to just carve everybody up. And now, oh, it's third and 12, and you got to throw a deep out route in the pocket in tight coverage in New England, and there's a 15-mile-per-hour headwind. Are you going to be able to do that? And I think that's that's what you're saying, and you're right. That's where I, I'm I'm not sold on that either. So that that's a very real thing. And, you know, if if Tuanon doesn't know that or can't see that, then screw Tuanon. They're just they're blinded by it, and which I always say. I would say screw Tuanon no matter what, but and I'm rooting for Tua. I'm rooting against Tuanon. <laughs> we, we want Tua to be good. But we're not doing our jobs if we just blindly say two is great and everyone else is nuts and the Dolphins were nuts to want Tom Brady and nuts and Deshaun to want Watson. Deshaun I mean, Watson. come on, I mean, right? They've, they've been looking to get rid of Tua for over a year now. Yeah, two so, years. Uh, yeah, and they're the ones who know him better than anyone. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how something. it goes. But but we're rooting for Tua. But we're just being realistic about where he was and where he's going, and it's positive that he was that he was a guy who wasn't putting in the extra time, apparently. Now he is. That won't make things any worse for Tua, that's for sure. Jets defense, where will it rank? Top, middle, bottom, third. Well, it can only go up because they were horrible last year. So, and and I think the talent, if they can stay healthy, can put them in the middle third. It can. And they're going to play hard. And, you know, that's the one thing you love about Robert Sala. You know, we saw that with the 49ers and – you know, you saw moments of last year. They, they they got some crazy dudes there, and he's got the you know AGNB sweatshirt on, all gas, no brakes, right? And they're that's the style of football play. They've certainly upgraded the talent on the football team, and and were hurt by injuries last year. The one thing I'll just say, and I think we'll see the adjustment a little because we saw it a little towards the end of last year. It can't be so Seattle three all the time. You know, as we've talked about, that Seattle cover three is spread around the NFL, and when that happens, offensive coordinators get to practice against it all the time and play against it all the time, and it's just you can't play that defense and think that you're going to be one of the top ten defenses in football. So hopefully Salah can throw some curves. But we saw that last night. That's that's some of those plays you saw. If Ferkser up the sideline, the one that Mariota underthrew, that those are Seattle covered three beaters. It's oh, they're in that. We're gonna expose their rules a little bit here and make it tough on them. So that'd be my only, you know, trepidation there, but I'll I'll say low middle third this year for the Jets. 
Yeah, I think it's going to take some time. And this is the problem. And this is where dysfunctional teams prove their dysfunction. You don't give Robert Sala enough time to turn it around. There's too much impatience. Woody Johnson decides, I'm falling out of love with this guy because he didn't immediately turn my team into a winner. I'm going to fall in love with someone else. And sometimes it really does. Even though in today's NFL, there's this irrational belief that you can turn things around quickly. And sometimes it happens. But just because it doesn't happen doesn't mean it's never going to happen. And I think if you keep chasing that, firing guys after two or three years, you're never going to get to where you want to be. Yeah. It's never going to happen. But but I think these owners tell themselves, I'm just one hire away from, you know, turning. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember when Andy Reid became the coach of the Chiefs. The Chiefs had bottomed out, and he instantly turned them around and instantly made them a year-in and year-out contender and eventually a Super Bowl winner. Well, Andy Reid isn't going to be available every cycle. Yeah, that's right. He's and, special. And so at some point, you just got to give – you got to – you just get – I just hope that – for the Jets' sake, for their fans' sake, that Woody Johnson is patient and they give this some time and let Robert Sala work his plan, even if it takes a couple more years. Yeah, agreed with you there. Agreed. I mean, it seems like things are going in the right direction. But, you know, it's, it's a young football team. They've been a little snake-bitten by injuries. And as we've said probably every week since we got back here in late July, holy crapola Batman, their schedule is brutal. And you just hope they can steal a few wins to kind of gain that confidence and get that culture going in the right direction. So, the uh, <laughs> the Vikings have added a quarterback. What does it mean for the guys who are there? We'll blow the horn and break it down next on PFT Live. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I have made the decision that I'm going to take the month of August off from smoking. So yesterday was my last day of smoking for a while. I'm no more daddy cigars. That was a, a tough moment, but uh, I'm going to try to be good this month and, and not do that. Give my lungs a little bit of a break. Uh, Mary Jane had a message for Chris. Things aren't the same without you. This month has left a huge hole in my leaf. Please come back. I promise to make everything funnier. And more delicious. <laughs> it's August 23. Chris has already acknowledged that by Friday. Friday. By Friday. Friday's my anniversary. Oh. 28 years my wife has been dealing with me. So yep. uh, smoke one. Do you smoke want, one do you want me to, do you want me to send something to her so she can she can cope with it a little bit? <laughs> she may be, she may, I can maybe give her some gummies if she wouldn't recognize until the effect uh, effective ingredient uh, is uh, uh, in her system. All right. Uh, the Vikings. This is interesting. This came out of the blue yesterday. And, and I, I've been fascinated by the lack of roster turnover in Minnesota. you got a new GM, new head coach, new coaching staff, and a lot of the same players. And at quarterback, the same room. Kirk Cousins, Sean Mannion, Kellen Mond. No changes. Now, the changes are afoot because in comes Nick Mullins for a conditional 2024 seventh-round pick. Basically, if he's on the roster for one game, 
The Raiders get a 20, 24 seventh rounder. Uh, Chris, I, I look, there was a time when Nick Mullins showed some promise with San Francisco. He broke all of Brett Favre's records at the University of Southern Mississippi. Right. But but then, I don't know, something happened. Reality came. And, yeah. And, 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 and Kyle got Nick Mullins the hell out of San Francisco. Right. Um, I don't know. What, what, what's your thought on Nick Mullins joining this effort to back up Kirk Cousins? Well, it's interesting, too, Mike. I mean, you, you know, who was there practicing against Minnesota last week, right? Who the Raiders. Was no. The 49ers, oh, the 49ers, right? Yeah. I, I wonder if they, they asked the about Raiders. him a they little saw, bit. They, yeah. And they saw Mullins on – they didn't practice with them, but they saw Mullins – The week before. On, on Sunday, and then they see the 49ers. Good point. Good point. Got so, a chance to talk to some people about Nick Mullins. Maybe. And still traded for Right, him. right. So, yeah, listen, he's, he's, he knows how to run an offense. That's anybody you talk to. Oh, he's a professional, and he picks up the playbook, and he's great in the meeting room and all of that. You know, but – he he's a, he's a second third stringer. There's a reason teams keep going. Oh, they go to the next guy. You know, we'll, we we like we the Raiders. We like Jared Stidham clearly as our backup. He's our guy there, but he does have experience that way. And I, it, to me, it says Mike. And I don't know. You know, maybe you follow the Vikings closer than I do. Yeah, that like Kellen Mond is not in the trust tree. You know, Sean, Sean Mannion doesn't have much talent to begin with. So that's to where I just go. That's scary. And then Kellen Mond. You know, obviously hasn't done enough to make them feel like, wow, if Kirk Cousins goes down, we feel warm and cozy. Mond has talent. I actually like the way Mond looked in the game the other day against the 49ers. Again, you know, it, it's hard to play quarterback when nobody blocks for you. I mean, they were getting steamrolled up front. His first interception wasn't his fault. He can't throw the ball and block the left defense tackle at the same time. You know, the last interception was pitiful. That was... Maybe what they were like, oh, man, we can't trust them. Maybe that's what did it. Uh, but either way, yeah, they're not comfortable with that. And Nick Mullins, you know, he did, like you said, put together some good games in San Francisco and has uh, a little more experience maybe or definitely than those other two guys. Here's Kevin O'Connell, Vikings coach, on why he made the trade for Nick Mullins. Add a quality player at that position to the room. Um, a guy that uh, has that kind of experience and really production for the 17 games started. Um, have good relationships with some guys that have coached him. I know Kwesi uh, had a relationship uh, with him, obviously, from his time in Cleveland. Um, and then ultimately just, you know, the competition's going to go down to the very end here. And, uh, you know, that does not mean it always just stays the same. Sometimes we may feel the need to add a player at a position, not just quarterback, just to try to maximize what we're going to be this year um, as a football team. And feel really good about all those guys in that room. And I know um, there's some plays we would have certainly liked to have back from, from Saturday, uh, but still a lot of uh, positives coming out of the game for both Sean um, and Kellen and uh, have asked those guys to continue to progress on where they're at within the offensive system and the competition. And uh, we'll, we'll be able to sort that thing out when the time's right. But a chance to add a really good player was why we did it. Look, bottom line, I think Mannion's out. They're not going to get rid of Mond. He's under contract for three more years. He's right. shown enough that you keep him around and you see what he's got. Yeah, he got potential. Yeah, but I think this means Mannion is out. Both guys, Mond and Mannion, told Chris Thomas in the St. Paul Pioneer Press yesterday they, they didn't know what was going on. They don't know what it means. Well, what it means is one of them is going to be gone by next Tuesday when the roster's cut to 53. They're not going to have four guys on the roster. I would think so. I think so. it means Mannion, bye-bye. Mond, number three. Right. They'll carry three guys on the roster because you're not going to let Mond go through waivers and become a practice squad guy. That's not happening. Right. So it tells me that it's going to be Cousins, Mullins, and Mond taking up three of the 
roster spots in Minnesota. I would think that's right, Mike. That would that would that's my kind of feel. I'm I'm with you there, no doubt. And yeah, you know, he he alluded to it. You know, he's got some people that he's been connected to that, you know, obviously know Nick Mullins and what makes him. And he talked about that 17-game stretch he had. I mean, hey, we, we you know, again, this is the Kyle Shanahan magic. Don't forget about it. Like, Mullins, what was the stat there for a while? For, like, the first five games you ever started, it was, like, the greatest start in the history of any quarterbacks ever. It wasn't because of Nick Mullins' unbelievable talent. He just, hey, Kyle, okay, you tell me to do this, I'll do that, I'll do this, I'll do that. Um and that's where he's a, he's a good backup that way. They can depend on him to be smart and run the offense. He had a, a debut for the ages, a 34-3 to win over the Raiders back in right, November Right, Thursday night game, I remember that. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, but I remember the Sunday night game. I remember when he that's signed what, with the Eagles at one point. Uh-huh. I thought it's good that he's playing for the Eagles because he's already mastered the art of throwing the ball to Eagles players because that's basically what he did the well, night that the Eagles and the 49ers played and he was the 49ers quarterback. That's what happened. You know, again, it, people started to go, okay, wait, Shanahan's doing this to hide this and hide this deficiency here, and it became, okay, now – Wait, like we always talk about, the guy's got to make some throws and some plays by himself, and he left a lot of plays and yards on the field there through the stretch to where I think that was when they were like, okay, and then he started to turn the ball over, and then it was like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll find another backup. See you later. Well, the Vikings, I think, will indeed say see you later to Sean Mannion, and uh, hey, Cousins has been very durable. That's he one has, of the things no he doubt. doesn't get appreciated enough for. Right. He's never injured. And uh, maybe it's not going to be relevant or necessary for anyone to play in his place this year. But it looks like it'll be Mullins game day and then Mond, a guy who continues to develop. Let's take a break. When we return, some of the best catches from the second week of the 2022 preseason. That's next here on PFT Live. How often do you ever uh, you know, sit and watch that? Kind of uncorks some bombs and fucks out there. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty fun. Um, you know, his nickname in college. I think everybody knows what it is. Um, I saw something on Twitter though. You know, try to keep him off the field, and he's he'll be the hold god, not the punt god, the hold god. So I saw it on Twitter. I thought that was pretty funny. Don't tell him I said that. Punt God wins the job in Buffalo, and yeah, he may not be used very often. He may not have many opportunities to be the punt God for the Buffalo Bills if they play the way they're supposed to. So in honor of that awesome punt God nickname, we decided to do a draft today based upon NFL nicknames. Now, we weren't sure at first whether it was going to be all-time or current. Pete Demolitis suggested current, so my reaction was all-time, and he <laughs> astutely pointed out, if I had said all-time, you would have said current. And Pete, you're absolutely right. Now you know how to handle me in the future. So, and and you know what? Maybe he won it all time. Maybe that was his way of getting it all time. But you know, I was thinking about it. I mean, I don't know what great nicknames there currently are. There's not many, right? Unfortunately, for a three round draft, there are a ton of great all time nicknames. We'll get to that coming up. But for those of you who like it, when we have a trivia question, good news. Yep. I have one. Yeah, you're screwed. Bad on... news. I probably have no idea what No, it you're is. screwed on this one. You're screwed. Right. But it's a good one either way just for information for the audience. What is Mac Jones' real name? I mean, I've heard it before, but it didn't register. Like Marshall Mathers, Jones, <laughs> that's no. It's, it's, like Mc, it's like McDaniel or McCorkle. I think it's like McCorkle something. I don't know. 
It we'll, is? We'll take it. It's Michael McCorkle Jones. Right. right. McCorkle the go. Dorkle Jones. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a transformation he's had in two years from when he looked like Bobby Lane with an ill-fitting uniform at Alabama, and now he's a superhero. He's gone from Clark Kent, less than Clark Kent, to more than Superman in New England, at least in the estimation of the coaches there. All right, best nicknames of all time. And my God, I don't know where to start. I know. There are so many great nicknames. Um, uh, man, I, you know, you probably won't take this one first, but the one that I remember when I was a kid that first struck me as a badass nickname, Ed Too Tall uh-huh. Jones. Good one. Yeah. 72 for the Dallas Cowboys boxed at one point. Right. But what a name. Too tall Jones. It's as literal as it can be. Why do you call him that? Because he's too damn tall. <laughs> no Ed doubt. Too tall Jones. I mean, unbelievable Nick. I experienced it just watching my dad going, "Damn, he's too tall." Dad keeps getting the ball batted <laughs> in the air, and they intercept it. It's, it's unreal. Uh, but yeah, that that definitely is one that I had written down as well. An all-time great player for that Cowboy football team. Ed Too Tall Jones, big number seventy-two, uh, definite legend right there. All right, I the assassin. The Assassin's one that I love with Jack Tatum just, you know, just fit the mold for a guy that was going to, you know, crush you over the middle and played for a team that just kind of embodied that with the Raiders and their attitude and take no crap, take no prisoners type of attitude. So that's one that I, you know, I remember hearing that when I was a young guy going, man, the assassin, that's a, who the hell is this guy? Whoa, 32 on the Raiders. That's amazing. So I'll throw that one out there to give him a little love. Back in the mid seventies, when Saturday night live launched on NBC and I was too young to, to watch it because some, you know, I mean, you're not in the demographic and it's more of an adult show, but I, Watched it from the get-go, and I loved it. And they called the cast of characters the not-ready-for-prime-time players. And I remember not knowing what the words prime-time meant. I was too young to understand that prime-time's 8 to 11. And I say all that, obviously, because my next pick is William the Refrigerator Perry. No, it's prime-time. Because every time that I heard – I mean, prime, every time I think, of, I think back to the original cast of SNL – but that just is the perfect nickname, Dion Primetime Sanders. There's only one guy that's ever earned it. There's only one guy that will ever have it. And it's just it's just perfect. And the, you, you instantly envision the dance he would do when he'd score a touchdown, him blazing past everyone early in his career. You know, we got used to it. We got used to his greatness. Yes. It was so stunning early in his career that we couldn't process it. That that I'm, I'm mad you took that one. I didn't think you were going to go there. I thought you were going to, you know, stay with your stay with the older generation. Damn you! Um, but you're right. It, it, it to me is definitely one of the best. I wanted to pick that one. I was just trying to give somebody else some love. I, I think that's the greatest nickname ever. You know, you're great when you have two one word names that like everybody knows you're right. When you just say Dion, you know it's oh Dion Sanders. Or you say prime. They don't even say prime time. They just go prime. He he got so much, and he just he started calling himself prime. I mean, there there was nothing like him. He was can't miss TV there for an eight you know year period where it was just like wow, can anybody in football be as electric and run like this guy? One of the fastest in the history of the game. So yeah, I'm with you there. I think the next one I'll go with is sweetness. I mean, sweetness with Walter Payton. You know, sometimes the obvious ones are just the best best ones, and he was. So special. He was like 
poetry in motion and just so sweet with how he ran. He did a little of the high step run too, like Dion did, right? He could do that. And then he wasn't so sweet when he lowered the shoulder and knocked your ass out a little bit too. So there was a, a little spice to that sweetness as well. And I mean, Walter Payton, of course, one of the greatest of all time and love watching old highlights of him. You know that you're good when you carry the ball all wrong. Right, like Dion too, in one hand, yeah. right? You know? And nobody says anything about it. No doubt. Like, no certain doubt. players, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> right. Walter Payton, you can get away with, with holding the ball out there. Yes. It's just phenomenal. And you mentioned the highlights. This will take some of the audience back to the 70s on the NFL Today on CBS, which Phil Simms has been a fixture on for years now. But they would do they would do like a montage of highlights set to some song. And I remember they did Carly Simon's Nobody Does It Better with Walter Payton. And they'd have the you know slow motion and just and it you know, you're just like this is unbelievable. The brilliance of Walter Payton. Um, at a time when football was far more rough and tumble, he had a grace and a speed and just an ease about his game that, that was very uncommon. It was, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust back in, in right. the 70s for the right. most part. All right. Uh, I, I mentioned William the Refrigerator Perry, and, I mean, that's just – that's the first thing I think of with the 85 Bears, especially since he, he took away Walter Payton's touchdown in Super Bowl twenty. But um, <laughs> it, wasn't his, it wasn't his decision – but I, that was just such a phenomenon that year. And I know that that wasn't good for young Christopher Sims and, and his New York Giants. But th- that, that was just a year where yeah. everything just fell right, right and they were phenomenal. And I thought they were going to win three straight Super Bowls. I thought, you know, just get used to the Bears being great indefinitely. It's amazing they only won one. But you know, the moment they started putting big old 72 amazing. in the backfield right. and started giving them the football, wow. it just it, – it just made it made the season fun. We love those things that pop up from time to time organically that just make it fun, and and that made 1985 fun. Yeah, that was a special team, special cast of characters. You know, they had their own song. You know, they just the Jim McMahon was a not your traditional quarterback. He was kind of crazy and you know controversial. And man, that defense, Richard Dent and everybody, Mike Singletary, holy cow! That's that's right. They were. Unreal. It is kind of amazing that the NFC was just so damn good. It was just, gosh, it, it was amazing to me. It's a, the golden age of football to a degree. Um, wow. I don't even know where to go here because I know mean, you got Broadway Joe. Of course, that's awesome. Megatron, Mean Joe Green. I'm going to give one guy some love that I just loved growing up in like my heyday. The Nigerian Nightmare. I mean, that's one where Christian Okoye would – Big 35 and the huge neck roll and just like, you know, you talk about fun. That was that was fun when he was kind of in his prime because just he was like, oh, my gosh, look at this big sucker running the ball. Nobody can tackle him. and He's low in the shoulder and crushing everybody. And really never no one ever got the best of him until Monday Night Football with Steve Atwater. Right. Remember that? I can still remember watching yes. that going oh, my gosh, somebody just knocked the Nigerian nightmare on his butt, like, big time. That was, like, a shocking moment, but a great nickname. It really was, and uh, not to say the other ones wasn't, but I just wanted to give that a little love. Let's take a quick break. There's actually some news to cram into the back Uh end of the show. We'll do that when this Tuesday edition of PFT Live concludes right after this.
Jesse Bates reportedly was not going to play under the franchise tag. Well, he is. He's back at Bengals camp after not getting a long-term deal before the July 15 deadline. He's going to get eight figures this year. I think the numbers 10.6 are in that range. He gets a 20% raise next year. Look, they've got Dax Hill. He's going to take over for Bates. And typically when the Bengals use the franchise tag, that's it. The guy's gone. He becomes a free agent after that. So Bates comes back. He gets his full amount. He doesn't get fined because he wasn't under contract. And now he makes that defense better, and he gets a chance to hit the market next year because he's one of the guys they're not going to be able to keep around. You can't keep everyone when you're already hoarding your acorns for Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. So Bates is going to be gone, but he's going to get paid well this year, and he's going to hit the open market. And and he carries the injury risk and the risk that, that he'll be ineffective this year, but it's far better than sitting out. Sitting out wasn't going to do anything for him, and he wasn't going to make more than $10 million this year by sitting out either. That's right. I think that's the, at the end of the day, you just got to get back out and get, you know, get playing and make everybody feel good about how you played so you can strike it rich next year with a team and free agency. You know, you're, you're not going to do yourself any good with, I sat out the year, and everybody's going to go, well, yeah, we'll hand you $15 million a year now you know, to come play with us. No, that, that's going to scare everybody, attitude-wise and just, wait, we haven't seen you play. So I'm glad to see him out there. He is one of the better safeties in football, for my opinion, and he made some big plays in the playoffs. And you talk about, you know, that secondary with him and Dax Hill and Von Bell and Shadobie Wuze and, you know, Eli Apple's good. He's not as bad as everybody wants to make him to be all the time. Uh, they got something special there in, in, in Cincinnati. By the way, my recollection was incorrect as it often is. Not 10.6, 12.9 million dollars for one season with the Cincinnati Bengals and then Jesse Bates likely to become an unrestricted free agent and hit the market day 1 and be one of the guys we're talking about coming up in about six and a half months when guys get paid. And that's what you want to do. You want to get to the market right away. And the good news for him, he wasn't a first round pick. So this is year five. He was a second rounder. If he'd been a first rounder, year five would have been a no-brainer, and then they would have tagged him in year six. So he's at least getting to the market after five years. And, yes, he plays a position that is conducive to injury because he's initiating some car crashes like Roquan Smith. But unlike Smith, Bates isn't going to get tagged next year. Smith will. Bates won't. No, Smith you, could. Right. Bates won't. Yeah, right. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's the unfortunate thing of the business, and it, it bothers me. It, it always will. And I don't know what we can do to, to fix that remedy, but it's the only business in the world where it's, you know, hey, hey, you're really good. You're one of the best that you do, but nope, you're, you, don't have, you don't have a free market yet. We still can control you and, and figure out what you want to, what you make. And it's just, it's the stinky part about football. I know we should complain. It's still $12 million, well, but there's but, injury but, but risk. But no, no, no. You, you also get to watch lesser players than you yes. go out and get the big payday that you can't because you've been given the franchise tag. Remember there was a time where it was like an honor? It's never been an honor yeah. to be franchise tag. Right. It's like it's not an honor to be drafted. That's next. <laughs> you've, you've, you've realized that the franchise tag isn't an honor. It's not an honor. Honor and a privilege, Mike. It's an honor Football and a privilege to be is family. Hours. See you tomorrow. See ya. Bye. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.